Writing your oncology case report is a huge undertaking, and it's easy to make silly mistakes that can derail your entire writing process. That's why you need my brand new masterclass, the three-step framework for a finished case report. In this free masterclass, you'll learn three of the biggest mistakes to avoid when writing your case report, the secrets to actually finishing your case report, no matter the patient case you've chosen, and my proven three-step framework for starting and finishing your very own oncology case report. Save your seat today at theoncopt.com slash framework. Again, that's theoncopt.com slash framework. Welcome to the Onco PT Podcast, where you'll learn from oncology experts, practitioners, and patients to help you on your journey to become a confident and competent Onco PT. Here's your host, Elise Decker. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Onco PT Podcast. I'm really excited today because I'm doing something different, something that I haven't done yet on the podcast previously. So this week I'm doing an Ask Me Anything episode in which I have asked for your question submissions that I'll answer about Oncology PT, about me, about anything pretty much in between. Uh, So the reason I'm doing this, so this is actually episode number 92. And today is actually my birthday when I'm releasing this. And I thought, well, this is too good of a coincidence to pass up. So I'm going to go ahead and just do it. So... What we're going to be doing, like I said, is I'm going to be answering some of the questions that y'all have sent in, whether that was through social media, whether that was through emails, or when we had Zoom calls. So first of all, thank you so much to those of you who sent in the questions. Um, And without further ado, let's jump into it. So the first question that I've, and I've kind of structured these how I want the episode to flow. So why did you start a podcast? Well, number one, I really, really like podcasts, and it's one of my actually, one of my favorite ways that I learn, and I really enjoy listening to podcasts, especially when I'm exercising, when I'm driving, and even when I'm going out for, you know, walks with my dog in the mornings. I really enjoy having kind of those voices just in my head as I'm able to think and process while doing other things. I think that's one of the really big, uh, benefits for me is that I can still kind of do some things that are a little more mindless and still be learning as I'm, you know, listening to podcasts. Road trips are probably my favorite because I can just sit in a car and go for hours and hours and just plow through several different podcasts. And I don't just learn. I don't just do like educational podcasts. I also do other fun ones. But all this to say, I really like podcasts. And so it made sense to me when I was first looking to start educating people on oncology rehab that, well, the podcast would just be a really organic thing to happen because I was really passionate. I really enjoy podcasts. I really enjoy oncologic PT and meshing those together seemed like it would be a really good fit, which it seems to be working so far. Like I said, episode 92 is today, which is pretty rad. So I started the podcast as a way to encourage other practitioners who were in the same boat as me. So a few years ago, when I was starting to look for a job in oncology physical therapy, I was really frustrated because I felt like 
One, I didn't really know where to turn to find a job. And I had some kind of hiccups along the way in f actually finding a job. But the information that I did get wasn't very cohesive. And so it led to a lot of confusion on my part. And thankfully, I was able to rely on a mentor and my clinical instructor who really guided me along this path to actually find a job. But not everybody has that. And not everybody had the clinical uh you know, internships or whatever you want to call them that I did that I got to learn so much from about specifically oncology rehab. And that's frankly just unacceptable in my book. So if I can help one student, one new grad or, you know, new professional or someone who's switching into oncology know what to do when treating these patients, then that's what I need to be doing with my time. So here we are. That's kind of why, that's part of why I started the podcast. Now these next two questions go together really well. So I'll start with this first one here. Why physical therapy or why did you get into physical therapy? So I was actually a high school swimmer. I swam competitively all through high school, you know, in the summers leading up to it. And I loved it. But I actually developed a pretty significant what we thought at the time was a shoulder injury and then turned out that it was much, much more. It was a shoulder and neck and back injury that had basically just been bubbling under the surface. But over years and years of really bad swimming technique, I had just had, you know, gosh, over, I think we did the math one day. I think it's like several thousand strokes that a swimmer will do per day. And this was just high school competitively. Like this was not by any means a special league or, you know, elite athlete. This is just swimming an hour and a half every, every day, you know, for five weeks, excuse me, five days a week. So thousands of really bad strokes with bad technique just led to overuse, extremely repetitive injuries that one day, just pretty much, I remember the day very vividly, I got, uh, we were doing a butterfly set, and I got out of the pool, and I thought, oh my gosh, my shoulder really burns today, not like it, you know, oh, I had a good swim, so got up, you know, was told to go to the athletic trainer, which didn't do squat, which I'm not saying athletic training doesn't do anything, I'm saying athletic training in high school, especially unsupervised students, is not helpful for athletes, so Athletic training didn't help, eventually found our way into an orthopedic surgeon, which thank God the orthopedic surgeon said, no, you should do PT. So I had my first encounter with physical therapists in high school. I absolutely loved both of mine. They were wonderful. I, they're definitely big parts of why I went into PT. I knew that I wanted to do something with the medical field, but didn't really know what. Nursing wasn't something that really appealed to me. That's what my sister was interested in and obviously does now and what my mom's done for many, many years. But that just didn't seem like my path. So once I was introduced to PT through high school, like I said, swimming injury, that's when I knew, okay, this is definitely for me. I still didn't want to let go of, oh, maybe I'll go to med school, which was so silly because that's not me at all. But once I got into college and I started taking my kinesiology courses, I knew, okay, PT for sure. 
Now, the next question, like I said, ties in really nicely to that last question. Why oncology physical therapy? Again, I knew I wanted to do something in the medical field. I really liked the idea of oncology, but at the time when I started PT school, I had no idea that oncology PT was even a thing. And it wasn't until my first couple CSMs that I really discovered what oncology physical therapy meant and that physical therapists could even be involved in oncology to begin with. And I really credit that with that first kind of exposure was with a course taught by Nicole Stout and Amy Litterini. No surprise there. And that totally just changed the whole trajectory, I think, for me. And I, I'm so thrilled, you know, that that one course that I just happened to go to because it sounded interesting, totally, you know, just set the course for what I was going to be doing for the next few years up until now, which has been really, really cool. So as you know, my mom and sister are both oncology nurses and they have, you know, they've been talking about cancer and cancer treatments for years and years. And so it was really cool. All of a sudden I had something to contribute to the conversation, which which I think is always really exciting. So we joke that cancer kind of runs in our family, not necessarily in that way, but on that end, Uh, My grandmother is actually a three-time cancer survivor. And for those of you interested, she's actually had three separate cancers. None of them have been recurrences. So that's been really interesting to see and then, you know, kind of see how that plays out in our family tree. Uh, Stay tuned for that because obviously we're still pretty fresh in all of this. But, you know, that's been interesting. And then as some of you know who have been listening from the very beginning, or I've listened to early episodes, uh, my godmother, Carol Cotton Steady, actually is a breast cancer survivor herself. So there were all these factors that were kind of building over the years when I was younger, like when I was a teenager, but I really didn't know and I couldn't recognize until I really got into college and then PT school and then learned about oncology rehab that I kind of decided at that point, oh, this is really cool. This is what I was supposed to be doing all along. So that's just a brief little foray into how I got into this. So next question here, if you weren't an oncology physical therapist, what would you be? So if I had to, if I had to pick another PT kind of specialty, hmm, I think it would probably be pelvic floor, pelvic floor therapy. That is such a special, individualized, really unique patient population to work with. And it's, you know, it's not just one impairment, right? There's a lot of different impairments that kind of fall under pelvic floor. And I think it's really cool. I haven't had much exposure or experience with it yet, only through some very, very minor observations I've done. um, And then what other classmates and colleagues have told me. But I think it's a really, really cool part of physical therapy and you really get to spend a lot of time with your patients and really make significant differences in their lives especially when you know pelvic floor dysfunction bowel bladder sexual dysfunction is so prevalent and can be so problematic for so many patients so I just think that's really cool so if I couldn't be an oncology physical therapist I would definitely want to pursue pelvic floor physical therapy 
follow-up question to that, if you couldn't be a physical therapist, what job would you have? Okay. Hmm. That's a really good one. I like education. I don't think I'd want to be a like a grade school teacher, but maybe if I could be involved in education in some capacity. I also have a silly reach dream that someday I'm going to be a goat, like a pygmy goat farmer. I've really liked pygmy goats for a long, long time, ever since the first time I went to the Fort Worth Stock Show. <laughs> and I just think those goats are so cute. And yeah, I'd really love to um, try my hand at raising some someday. So we'll see what happens there. <laughs> okay. Mm. All right. Next question. Not not related to pygmy goats at all. Are you taking the oncology specialist certification exam? Yes. Yes, I am. Am I working on getting everything together? Yes, I am. I'm still working on, I've picked out my case study. I have a lot of it written, but basically I need to compile it into the actual application. So that is my project actually for this week after I'm done celebrating my birthday, of course, today. And I'm really excited. You know, we've had two classes, uh, you know, two cohorts of the exam go through now, and they have done really, really awesome. And so now we're kind of the third, all right, we're getting our feet under us. You know, we kind of know what to expect, time to take the exam. But, you know, in studying for the exam, I think obviously this is why I'm, I'm in this specialty. I've really enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed getting to kind of review some things that maybe I've learned and I have forgotten already or that I maybe I just hadn't thought of in the context of what, you know, how we're preparing for the exam. So short answer, yes, I am taking the exam. Longer answer, yes, I am. I'm very excited. I need to get my application done. And for me, it's the case study. And so... That's my project for this week after, like I said, after I'm done celebrating my birthday. All right, so this question here says, what's my favorite oncology patient population and why? Hmm. If I had to say just one, just one population, I would say that my favorite would be my female patients after breast reconstruction, especially after a deep flap reconstruction. I think that surgery is so cool, first of all. The advances that have been made over the past few years in breast reconstruction is absolutely incredible. And with that, breast reconstruction can still, even though, you know, it's kind of a I think sometimes it's thought of as this, okay, we're going to clean things up now, now that we're done with X, Y, and Z treatment, you know, now we're going to take the first step in, you know, living the rest of your life. And I think sometimes a lot of providers and patients tend to think that it's going to be a uh, one and done, you know, no problems, everything's going to be hunky-dory after that, when in fact, it's it's oftentimes not. I won't say, off, it's, I won't say it's, always the case, but it's definitely commonly there are still problems afterwards that take some help, that take some of our skilled services as oncology physical therapists to help these patients get back to what they're doing. 
I adore working on scar tissue. And I know that sounds kind of crazy, but I do. I really love working with the scar tissue until it yields, until it really starts to become pliable, when it starts to move, when that patient starts to actually feel that uh, relief. That is such a cool feeling. And uh, it's awesome to see how scars change, you know, both in texture, but also in their appearance, how they look, how the patient feels about them once they're starting to become softer and smoother and you know, they hurt less. And I think that's something that for me, I like the visual and the tactile sensation of actually, you know, the the demonstrated progress that comes from working with scar tissue after reconstruction. So if I had to pick just one patient population, that would probably be my favorite. But I really like a lot of other things too. So I'm going to leave it at that. Favorite, absolute, if I was you know, pinned to a wall and I had to pick one, that would definitely be my favorite patient population. Okay, here is a really good one that I had to, I don't know that I actually have an answer for it, but I'm still going to pose the question and then, well, we can have a conversation about it later. So what do you think about assistive suicide? Super good question, first of all. So Uh, The person who asked this question, like I was talking to them the other day, wow, you're really going to make me think on this. And I'm going to be upfront, and I'm going to say that I haven't really thought of this too much. And so I don't know that I necessarily have an opinion one way or the other, but I'm going to kind of give you some of my thoughts. And like I said, you know, we can have a conversation about this later because, you know, I think I'm still developing what I think about all this. So for context, assistive suicide is in the in the realm of oncology physical therapy would be where someone's passing is helped along or is sped up by different uh, interventions or sometimes lack of interventions. Again, I'm not super knowledgeable in this, so I'm not going to pretend to be an expert here, but that's kind of the gist of what that means. And one of the things that I think of when I think of assisted suicide is, so for example, I have patients who, you know, have metastatic cancer. The prognosis is grim, and at this point, they've exhausted all you know, treatment options maybe that are available or that they're willing to pursue. It really just kind of depends. And so usually for for the particular facility I worked in, these patients would be going and getting second opinions from elsewhere, like a bigger hospital such as MD Anderson, for example, or, you know, there's many, many others out there. And they would usually hear a similar or the exact same thing is that, no, your cancer is still progressing. It's not responding At this point, you know, it's time to turn to hospice comfort care measures. And so one of the issues that I see that I hear about for these patients is they'll be put on comfort care, but the disease maybe isn't to the point where it's going to cause their death in the next week or two weeks. You know, maybe it's more like a month 
or a couple months. And that doesn't always happen, right? You know, some of my patients will truly go home on hospice and they will pass within a few days. That tends to be more of what I see, but I definitely have some instances where it takes patients longer to pass. And again, I recognize that there's so much that goes into hospice and comfort care and this idea of you know, even then beyond that assistive suicide. And like I said, I'm not an expert in this. And so I'm giving my thoughts to this question here. My short answer is I don't know. I really don't. This is a really hard situation to be in. Um, I know that my grandmother actually passed away last uh, March. So March of 2019. And, you know, for her, we didn't have this kind of circumstance. So let me be clear. She um, unfortunately had declining health. She had fallen several times. She had had multiple injuries because of this is how she ended up in the hospital. But then she developed some other problems. I think like a UTI. I can't remember exactly. Um, You know, but for a while she was doing okay and then unfortunately she took a turn and we knew at that point that she was going to pass away and we were so blessed that she was able to be comfortable and you know when she was ready to go then we were able to make that transition very seamlessly over to comfort care And pretty much the whole family got to be there when she did pass. Um, You know, it was really nice. Shout out to the University of Iowa hospital system for taking such good care of us. But, you know, my sister and mom got to, you know, help grandma from a nursing perspective. They even got to, you know, kind of handle the pain medications to just keep her comfortable. And I know that was a really big blessing for our family when she passed to be able to, you know, contribute and be there for her. And I can't imagine not having that experience um, when a loved one dies. So I think that's why I'm really hesitant about how I feel because I hope that everybody gets to have as peaceful as a passing as what my grandma did. And, ooh, that took a turn I wasn't expecting. (laughs) Good question, my friend. Um, But... I think that's why I need a little, I haven't decided yet. And, you know, maybe I'm not going to know right away. Maybe it's going to take me some time to think about it. But yeah, that's some, I know that's not really an answer, but I I don't think I have a better answer for you. Okay, so switching gears here. What's your advice for students who want to get into oncology physical therapy but don't have a clinical rotation in oncology physical therapy? Okay, very, very good question here. And I think I harp a lot on try to get an oncology, you know, internship, try to get a clinical, you know, in oncology. But as we know, that's not always possible for a lot of students out there. Partially because there's not a lot out there, but even so, a lot of places aren't, even advertising that they have a clinical rotation. Sometimes patients, you know, maybe students don't know where to look. Maybe schools don't know where to look. So there's a lot of barriers, whether they're real or perceived, that prevent students from actually getting clinical rotations. 
And so one of the best things that you can do if you want to pursue oncology PT but don't have a clinical explicitly in it is to tell your DCE, so your director of clinical education, and tell your clinical instructor that you are interested in oncology. I'm serious, because if they don't know that you're interested in this patient population, they won't be able to get you to where you need to be to see these patients. That doesn't mean necessarily they're going to change your clinical rotation, but I know for me, I had a wonderful clinical instructor for my acute care rotation. We were actually mainly on the progressive care unit, which is kind of the step down in the particular hospital where I was from the ICU. But because he knew I was so interested in oncology physical therapy, he actively sought out patients who had a cancer diagnosis for us to go and treat. Even though there was an oncology physical therapist, you know, kind of designated there, he still found those patients for me and I got to see that experience, which is awesome. And I'm so thankful to him for doing that. Even before then, after I went to my first CSM, I went to my my DCE and I said, I have got to do oncology physical therapy. I don't care what you have to do. I have to be a part of this. And so he was able to, like I said, very thankfully, I was able to get a oncology specific clinical you know, rotation, but I know that's not always feasible for people. So first up, tell people you're interested so that they can facilitate your ability to start seeing these patients, whether you're on an oncology specific rotation or not. If you have the opportunity to do any kind of observations, even though it may not be your primary realm of whatever clinical you're doing, that would be really awesome. So again, this goes back to telling people you're interested so that they can facilitate your learning of these things related to oncology. Even if you don't get anything. Let's say you go through your clinical rotations and you didn't know that you wanted to do oncology or oncology just wasn't available. There's still so many things that you can do to be a part of oncology physical therapy to serve patients with a cancer diagnosis. And you can start truly just by taking some continuing education courses or taking some, you know, learning opportunities, seminars. Gosh, there's so many things out there that you can do to learn about these patients. And you know, once you start learning about these patients, you can start implementing things. And, you know, Kristen Carroll says this best, you know, she was on the podcast a few months ago and she talked about, I think almost 40% of people alive today are going to end up with a cancer diagnosis. That is huge. I can tell you for certain that my patients, even the ones that I'm seeing as an oncology physical therapist, aren't always ending up in my clinic. They're going and seeking care from other clinics because they have problems, but they have a history of cancer and that makes a big difference. I have classmates who are calling me, who are asking, how do I do blah, 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 because my person has, has a history of breast cancer. And so... Yeah, you may not be an oncology physical therapist in an oncology space, but you're going to see these patients. 
And that's where I think you can really start building your practice is, again, you have to tell your supervisor, you have to tell the person in charge of scheduling that you're interested in working with these patients or maybe you want to go shadow with them so that they can get you where you need to be. Again, if you don't tell people that you're interested, that you're excited about working with patients who have a cancer diagnosis, they're not going to know and they're not going to be able to help you get to where you need to be. So that is my spiel on getting exposure, getting experience with oncology. And the last question I have here is, have you heard of any drug that helps with radiation fibrosis? I, I paraphrase that a little bit there, but is do you know of any medication, any drugs that are approved to help treat radiation fibrosis? Short answer, no. I did do a little bit of very cursory online research last night. I did not see very much new literature on this. Now, again, I did a very cursory search. So there may be stuff out there that I just haven't seen yet. And if you do know of something, please send it to me because this is definitely pertinent to what we do. For those of you unfamiliar, radiation fibrosis radiation as a treatment has a lot of side effects that can develop in the months to years and continue to affect the patient after treatment is done. And one of the big side effects is this damage and subsequent toughening of soft tissue where the radiation was performed. So I see a lot of this in patient's breast tissue area after, you know, breast radiation, especially like in the axilla, one of the really big areas I see it is in the head and neck population. So patients who have a head and neck cancer diagnosis and undergo radiation here. This is huge. And, you know, the skin toughening isn't just a problem aesthetically. It also affects patients' ability to talk, to swallow, to chew, to speak. And, you know, one of the most vivid memories I can think of of how this affects a patient is I had a gentleman who underwent radiation for head and neck cancer uh, five years ago, maybe. Yeah, five or ten years ago. And he had the worst radiation fibrosis I have ever seen. Now, I will say that he also had a uh, reaction to a medication that compounded his radiation fibrosis. But he literally could not turn his head. So he turned like the old Batman where he would have to turn his whole chest in order to be able to, you know, turned to the side to look at somebody and he could not swallow which we think about food we think about drink but what we don't really think about is spit how many times every day do you swallow your spit and so this gentleman would have to spit out his saliva every like mm, 30 to 40 seconds every waking hour of his day 
that's huge. That's a huge problem. And this is a really extreme example, but I use it to drive home the point that radiation is a huge problem. And it's not adequately addressed a lot of times to the point where these become situations that we encounter as oncology physical therapists. And it's hard. It's rough. It's painful for the patients. It's unpleasant for the patients. And it makes a huge difference on their quality of life. And so, again, short answer to the question, no, I have no idea about any drugs that have been approved for radiation fibrosis. But if someone out there does, will you please email me at theoncopt at gmail.com? Because this is definitely something, again, it's a huge problem. There's not enough information there about it. And if we as oncology PTs can do something positive about this, then, you know, even if it's just facilitating the patient to getting in with a provider who will be able to treat them, then that's what we need to do. Okay, so those are all of the questions that y'all submitted. So first of all, thank you so much for sending those in. It was really fun to get to see these, you know, through the email, through social media and getting to think on them. I know that I gave some really specific answers on some of them, and there's especially one in there that I have, I don't, I don't know yet. And I think that's part of the cool thing about all this is I don't have to have all the answers just yet. I'm still thinking about some of them. So thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. I hope you learned something interesting about either oncology rehab, well, or about me, a little more about your host here. And the last thing that I want to leave you with is this. So... Thank you so much for all of your time for listening to the podcast, you know, over these past few years, months, weeks, however it's, however long it's been since you've joined me. I really appreciate your time. I know that your time is precious and I'm so thankful that you're in oncology PT or you want to get into oncology PT because this is, this is a wonderful place to be and I'm so, so thankful that you're here. All right. Last thing I want to leave you with today is on Sunday, September 13th at 7 p.m. Central, I am hosting a free workshop series. So I'll be kicking off the first of the webinars on Facebook Live. So you can go to my Facebook page, The Onco PT. And what I'm going to be covering is five strategies that are going to help your oncology evaluations. So specifically, five strategies that are going to help you improve your history taking, your subjective portion of the evaluations, because this is where we really get that buy-in from patients. And if we don't start off on the good, on the right foot, then it's really hard to recover and kind of take back control of the eval and really get that patient buy-in that we need a lot of times to be able to set ourselves up for success and set our patients up for success. So See you at 7 p.m. on Sunday, September 13th for the first of our workshop series. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Onco PT Podcast. For more episodes, visit theoncopt.com.